You're listening to the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast, creating community to foster joy and well-being. Thanks for listening. Welcome, this is Ben Frazier, and we have Westminster Canterbury on the Bay um, podcast today, Tell Me a Story, uh, and we have a special guest, uh, Stuart Gordon, who lives here and has for a while, and Stuart, we're just so delighted you can be here. You've lived such a, a creative and uh, uh, unusual life and we want to hear about it and we want to hear about some of your uh, activities i know um, without giving any everything away you lived in spain for a while and you also grew up in new york and uh, moved here you're a lawyer you're a politician uh, you ran for office i know so you got a lot of stuff that you can talk about and um, i'm looking forward to hearing but i think just so everybody can sort of know who you are if you could just give us a uh, introduction to your to your life, and uh, I'll interrupt once in a while and talk to you about what's uh, find out some other things that uh, you may not give us. Fine, it's of course a little sobering to know that I can in ten minutes tell you my life, but we'll begin. Um, I was born in Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, when I was two years old, my family moved to Brooklyn. Uh, my brother uh, was born. He's 17 months younger than I am. He's, since then, he's deceased. Um, we, um, I lived there my entire life in a fourth-floor walk-up and shared the same fold-out couch with my brother until I got married. Um, the, I went to uh, Brooklyn College, which I was fortunate enough to do because it was free. Um, I went to Brooklyn Law School, graduated, um, became a lawyer, practiced as a trial lawyer in New York for about 15 years. Um, I ran for state assemblyman while there. Besides being an ass- running for assemblyman, I created, along with three other gentlemen, a uh, public corporation which traded over the, over the market and um, built houses, owned a finance company, and then decided it was time to kind of relax and sold everything, went off to Spain with my family and two dogs, two cats, and and lived in Spain for two years and then decided to come back here. One of the reasons I came to Virginia was because I didn't have to take the bar examination again. They have reciprocity with New York, so that was a big incentive. I just didn't want to go back to the rat race of New York. Um, I got a job with a man who I, at that time I had no idea who he was, but it was Henry Howell who was running for, for running for governor of the state of Virginia. Um, I was also special in New York. I was special assistant to Robert Kennedy and, uh, when he was a senator and I worked for Henry for about, uh, two years and then, uh, got involved starting with the, um, legal clinics. I was the first lawyer in Virginia to advertise. actually got indicted because of it, which is an interesting story. Um, became very successful, retired at the age of 59, and um, started a finance company, which basically lends money to a lot of people who are unable to go to banks, mostly African-Americans. I, fortunate enough, I was 
I married I married two super duper women. My first one I married I met in Brooklyn and when she was 13 or 14 years old and I was 17 and we spent the next 50 some odd years together and then she passed away of cancer and then I married which everybody knows Lola I mean she's probably much more popular here than I am and uh, better looking I might say oh absolutely <laughs> and just for the record uh, Roy is acknowledging that she's much better known than I am <laughs> it's got to be on the record <laughs> this is one of the uh, interviews that Roy will uh, speak up once in a while too and ask you some questions uh, and um, I ran that for several years. so I have three children a, a son um, who was a lawyer but hated every minute of it so he he became a, a teacher and then I have a, a daughter who's a um, a teacher and started a school uh, one of the Goddard schools and then I have another daughter who was an LD teacher and uh, and I now live in Westminster and having a good time yeah, you even said it right, Westminster. Right. <laughs> well, they told me to practice this several times. That it's a it's a crime not to say the, it properly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Tell us, why did you decide to go into law? What was the attraction? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, it was a choice between either becoming a social studies teacher or a lawyer, and I probably figured out two there were two reasons why I went number one I was pretty aggressive so being an aggressive person it just didn't fit in with being a social studies teacher and I felt that it, it would be more appropriate to be a lawyer being aggressive and the second was uh, the pay was better <laughs> well, I'm so glad that aggression got out, and now you're just a gentle soul. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, maybe that didn't happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> why are you aggressive? Why do you why why that? Why? I don't know. I I, I have a feeling it's probably innate. Uh, my mother was that way. She was much. I mean, um, she was. She was the, the matriarch of the family. She yep. ran the family. All she had to do was give me, I don't think she ever hit me in my entire life. All she had to do was give me a look, and I knew that I had better shape up or else. And uh, I think I probably inherited some of that from her. Okay. So. Okay. So you went to law school. Mm -hmm. Graduated, what, 12th in your class or yes. something like that? Pretty 12th. high. That's great. Mm -hmm. uh, did you enjoy law school? Yes, I was, um, I was not a particularly good student in college. I basically felt it was the necessary evil of, to get to law school. And so I was not a particularly good student. But in law school, I really shaped up. And I, I, I enjoyed it, and I, I did well. And I uh, felt as if I was very successful in law school. So you graduated from law school. And did you go work with another company? Did you start your own, or what happened there? Upon graduating from law school, I joined a law firm that was a trial law firm, and I did some trial work, and then I did a lot more trial work. And then after about three or four years, um, I went into partnership with someone, and um, we had a partnership for several years, and that's the time I decided I wanted to get involved in politics and 
I became a, 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 a local Democratic leader, and then I became, then I ran for state assemblyman for the state of New York. I think we're talking about um, why you were attracted to, to law school and then why you were attracted to politics. Somehow there was this uh, Don Quixote uh, uh, part of me that I've always felt I could change the world. And so I got involved in politics and I, there were always a few causes. I was always involved in animal rights causes and the environment even back then and um, consumer rights. And, and I thought, I was, you know, that I could change the world if I got elected. Now, um you also worked with Robert Kennedy. You mentioned that. When, when was that? When was that in the process? I ran for state assemblyman, and it, it was a very heavily Republican district, and they really didn't expect me to, to, do, to win. And I was very fortunate. I came in, I lost by 1,000 votes. And so to some degree, I was kind of, um, you know, like an accepted part of the Democratic Party at that point, even though I had lost. And the leader, Jack English, at that point called me in and he said to me, would you like to uh, work for Bobby Kennedy? And I said, of course. And he said, there's no money involved, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great privilege. And I said, yeah, it would be great. And he said, well, you'll be the representative for Bobby Kennedy for Long Island, New York. And I accepted the position and it was, it, it was, Truly, truly an unbelievable experience. I mean, when you pick up a phone and you call the president of Hofstra University and you get on the phone and you say, this is Stuart Gordon, and the secretary says, yeah. And then you say, I'm from Senator Kennedy's office, and she says, hold on, I'll get you the president. <laughs> it makes a difference. That's right, that's so, right. What was he like? Can you tell us a little bit about him? He was really a, really a warm, friendly person. Um, every Christmas, he would have a little uh, event down at Rockefeller Center. And he rented out all of Rockefeller Center, and we would go ice skating. There would be maybe 100, 150 people, and we'd all go ice skating, and he would go ice skating, and Ethel was there, and, and he would, you know, he would talk to you, and, and um, he was really just a, a really warm person. As a matter of fact, one time, to show you how tolerant he was one time he came to long island and he came in and i wanted a picture with him and i walked up to him and i said senator kennedy can i the picture he said of course Stuart, yes and the person who took the picture forgot to take the cover off the the lens so i had to go back a second time and say senator uh, you know there was kind of a mix-up and the guy took a picture the third second time and he forgot to advance the so by that time, it was impossible. But he was very tolerant. It wasn't like, you know, indicated that she... Once and done. <laughs> you know, let's move on. And yeah. so I always found him to be really a very, very warm and friendly person. I think the image that I had of him um, living during that time as well is that he was very smart and knowledgeable. In fact, of the Kennedys, maybe the smartest. Uh, is that... Was he... How was he? My feeling was... Um, that he was better than Jack Kennedy, that he was smarter than Jack Kennedy. And I think there was an empathy in him that for the poor, for the downtrodden, that John did not have. I mean, John 
exhibited some of that, but I think Bobby, it was really a sincere feeling that he was going to somehow change the world. More genuine in that way. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Anything else? Can you have any other incidents that you could tell us about that? Uh, you, apparently you knew him on a first name basis. Well, I mean, you know, he, I guess he knew, you know, I don't know. He was coming to, to Long Island. They may have said, you know, Stuart Gordon is your representative. So if he's there, make sure you say Stuart, you know, I, okay. I don't know okay. whether, you know, but, but we, you know, I met him numerous times and, you know, we had some relationship. Well, good. So um, you were involved in politics. You ran for office. You worked with the represented, apparently, uh, Robert Kennedy. Um, and you had your own law firm. Yeah. Um, and I, it, along with two other gentlemen, decided that we would create a public company and sold shares of stock and became a, a public corporation and traded over the uh, it, it, what they call the pink sheets okay. and, and we traded. And How did that come about? Why, why was that? I just, one day, a very good friend of mine had gone public with a really solid big company mm -hmm. and he said to me, gee, you know, it's really not as difficult as you think. Well, it is very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it would be a great idea, and I got two other gentlemen to, to join with me, and the three of us created this company, and we uh, sold, now this is 1968, 69, 70, and we sold uh, $400,000 worth of stock and traded in the stock market. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> it was, it's a very exciting business. So you recommend just about anybody get into that because it's so fun and so exciting and easy to get into. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it, it, it's a, it's it's a, a real learning experience. You know, I knew nothing about the stock market and, and I learned a great deal. Okay. Um, how long were you a lawyer in New York then? How long did that 15 take years. 15 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you decided Spain. So there's a story there. Uh, how did Spain come on come in the picture? Yeah. Well, what happened is I, I was working seven days a week, like 15 hours a day between the law practice, the public company, politics, and everything else. And I was really run down. And, and I went a trip to Italy. And I didn't want to go because I didn't have the time. And my mother forced me to go. And my, so my wife and I went off to Italy. And for the first time in my life, I realized that men actually sit for two hours and have lunch, that they don't grab a sandwich standing at their, de at their desk. And I said to my wife, you know, we're still, you know, we're young and all, but how about we just kind of sell everything and just move off to Europe? And she said, yeah, let's do it. And so we went home. And wait, what'd your mom think of that? She thought we were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so did everybody think we were totally crazy, you know? But your wife was going along with this. Oh, she thought it was a great idea. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. We were really. I mean, we lived in a big house. I had an orange Corvette. Oh my! I wore an orange Corvette. I just can't see you in that. That's oh, amazing. You, you had to see me. I had gold chains and the oh whole bit. <laughs> and we just all went off to uh, we um, 
coming back from Italy, her father said, well, if you really ever want to do that, it's cheaper to live in Spain than it is in Italy. So what, you ought to think about that? And the only condition was that we had to find a, a school for the kids. And it just turned out that there was a school, a British school that was owned by, hard to believe, two New Yorkers. And oh we became very good friends with them. We flew over. We sold the house, the cars, the the public company, everything. Was I it mean, hard to get let go of that orange Corvette? Uh, yeah. <laughs> had to so, had to settle for a, a a white Seat, which is a little car. So you were what in your forties, thirties, thirties when you did this. Thirties. Okay, and you had two, three kids, three kids, two cats, two dogs, two dogs, mm-hmm. and all you went to Spain. Yep. <laughs> packed, up, packed up everything and sold everything except for the basic things of our life. Yeah. And went off to Spain and lived on the Costa del Sol for two years in a house that was on the beach. Every morning I would jog for an hour, you know, come and then come back. And our, our cleaning girl, and she wasn't more than a cleaning girl. She actually became a very close friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Um she would make breakfast. And, oh wow! You know, we'd have breakfast and, and you know off. And my kids were going off to school, and and then you know I would go into uh, uh, town and do not you know basically f- look for some foreigners and sit around and drink coffee and and relax. And oh, we you that. drink coffee out of those little cups, or do they yeah, have big the, cups there. Little espresso cups. Yeah, and yeah. Make sure it takes two hours, the, and you know. I, yeah, I never could figure out those cups when I travel. <laughs> <laughs> Why that little thing? But, but some but people the, love it. The interesting part is that while I'm there, there was this Spanish lawyer came to me and he said to me, "Stu, I would love you to kind of work with me." And I said to him, "Emilio, I my Spanish is terrible." Mm-hmm. And I don't have a license to practice law in Spain, and I don't want to get into any trouble. And he said, no, I want you to be kind of the front man because Spanish lawyers are really not trusted by the Brits or by the Americans Mm -hmm. when they're buying property, and those are the two big buyers in Spain. So I said, well, I still don't want to get into trouble. He said, well, don't worry, my father's head of the secret police, because this was the days of Franco. So he said, just show up and talk to the people and I'll share my fees with you. So I would you know, meet the people in the coffee shop and, and work out whatever their problem was and then go back to him and he would draw the documents. Wow. You want him and dine him. <laughs> yeah. and, then, uh, and then you got paid for it. So yeah, on exactly. your two-year sabbatical, you were <laughs> getting making yeah. some money yeah. <laughs> in Spain. Yeah. So why, okay, before we ask why did you leave, which I'm coming to, a little bit more about what life was like there. Did the, Spain, did the family like it? Did oh, your wife like it? My, my children absolutely loved it. I mean, they, they were opposed to it initially to go to Spain. But all of a sudden, you know, you're in a, um, a British school. Um, they were learning Latin, um, mm. Spanish, French, uh, they had to write an essay. My son had to write an essay every night. It wasn't, you know, a, a you know once a week proposition. Right. Um, they all they all when they came back could speak Spanish pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, we loved it because you know I would 
when I say I worked uh, with Emilio, I mean, that was like maybe an hour every two weeks, you know, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the hectic life of an American lawyer. Um, so did you like go fishing there or swimming? Or we went, I went, you know, we lived on the, the, on the, the beach. beach. So yeah. I went swimming every day. We traveled. We went to England. We went to Germany. We went to France. We went to um, uh, Austria. You know, it was, we would traveled all over the place. So my guess is after two years, the money ran out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the money didn't run out. But you know what the problem was? Was that you start to say, there's really no future here. Yeah. And, you, you know, you, you're in your late 30s and you say to yourself, well, there's just no way I can do this. Uh, uh, you know, what, what, what's it going to be when I'm 45 or 50? You know, yeah. am I, you know, if Emilio dies, I don't have any, any kind of income at all, even though his income, the money I made from him was pretty small. Right. Um, but, you know, there was just, and you still are a foreigner. You're an extranjero. You just... You know, it's just not part of that society. You know, at night you would drink, you know, you'd go to the bars and you'd drink and you'd have fun, but it, you didn't feel as if you were building anything. Right. So after the two years, we just felt it was necessary to come home. Yeah, it doesn't fit with your Robert F. Kennedy kind of... No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's F, but Robert Kennedy um, sort of uh, background. Okay, so how did that decision come about? Well, both Linda, my first wife, mm -hmm. and I decided to come home. We flew home. My mother uh, had gotten divorced from my father, mm -hmm. and she was remarrying. And so we came home for the wedding. It just worked out at that time. Mm -hmm. We flew home, and we said, well, my wife wanted to move to Virginia. I wanted to move to um, uh, Denver. <laughs> And she said, well, look, let's just go down to Virginia for uh, a weekend while you're here and see what it's like. And I said, okay, fine, we'll go down. And I'm, she met a lawyer while we were down here. And he said to her, uh, how long has your husband been practicing law? And she said, well, 15 years. And he said, you know, New York and Virginia have reciprocity. He does not have to take the bar exam. And that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a deal maker right there, that or a deal it. maker, one or the other. Exactly. Yeah, so that's great. at that point, I decided, okay, we'll, we'll come to Virginia. And we we flew in from, she flew in, found a, a little home, and I took care of the kids and kind of organized everything to get back. Mm -hmm. And we flew home, mm -hmm. and uh, we bought a house, but the condition was... we. We had 30 days in which for me to find a job. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't find a job. And then finally, I just walked in one day. I had no idea who Henry Howell was. I walked into his law firm, sat down, and he looked down and he said, oh, you worked for Bobby Kennedy. And I didn't know that Henry was running for governor and he was a Democrat. And he talked to me for two hours about Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. I went home and I said to me, I don't think I got this job because the man wasn't interested in me. He was interested in Bobby Kennedy. And the next morning he called up and he said, uh, 
do you have the job? Come in. I want you to handle my part of the law practice while I'm running for governor. And I said, this man's running for governor? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to tell him you didn't know that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and so I got the job and, and you know, everything worked out very well. Yeah. Very, very well, now what well. kind of law practice did he have? Henry was strictly uh, uh, trial. Trial. So yeah. the first year, um, I was kind of thrown in because they'd say to me, you know, he, you know, he, you got 20 cases, go try them. You know, oh, wow. it's like, oh my God, you know, and so I'd be running around trying cases or, you know, well, we have this case um, in the Fourth Circuit. We go out in Richmond and argue it's the case in the Fourth Circuit. I mean, they had a really um, high level law practice, you know, mm -hmm. trial practice. And I, I was a beneficiary of it. I learned a great deal from Henry and Guy Doherty and, uh, and, and then I went out on my own and started my own law. So you worked for him for what? About three years. Three years. Did he, did he, uh, was he governor? Did he? No, no. He lost. He lost. Yeah. Yeah. And then he came back and, you know, it was like, uh, you know, a little bit of a difficulty because all the clients were going back and they didn't know whether to come to me or to go to him. And yeah. So it was a little bit, and I had decided that I it was time to really sure, move on. Sure, sure. And sometimes it, it served its purpose. You right. got in transition. So then you started out on your own at that point? Well, um, I didn't know quite what to do. And I was, Linda and I had been talking about me looking for a job. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. another firm was doing something else. And um, I was driving down Virginia Beach Boulevard. And I looked up, and there was a sign there that said the legal clinic of Wade Bettis. And I knew Wade. And she said, well, why don't you go up and talk to Wade and see if he needs a partner or something like that? And I walked in, and Wade said, um, I'm very, very successful still. The thing is just taken off because it was a legal clinic. Mm -hmm. So we were doing wills for $25 when lawyers were doing them for 200 We were doing closings for 100 because we had everything was computerized. Right. And so they said to me, um, uh, you know, I was talking to him and I said, he said, we're doing really, really well, except my wife wants to go back to uh, Portland. And so... He said, if you'll write me a check for all of the equipment in this place, it's your law practice. Wow. So I wrote him a check and boom, became unbelievably successful. I had six offices throughout Tidewater. Mm -hmm. I was the first lawyer to advertise. I used to take full page ads in the newspaper. I was on TV. I had to be careful on Saturdays to shave because I'd hand my credit card when I went to a store and people say, oh, you're the, you're the lawyer, you know, because <laughs> I was the only person who was advertising in those yeah. days. As a matter of fact, because of it, uh, the Commonwealth attorney, um, Andre Evans, I remember he was a nice person, but he called me up and he said to me, you know, there's a Virginia law that says you're not allowed to advertise for wills and divorces. I said, yeah, I know, but the Supreme Court says I can. And he said, well, wow. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. Virginia says you can't. So uh, about a month later, he calls me up and he says, I've just had you indicted for violation of those two statutes. Whoa. So the newspapers 
you know, yeah. being in favor of freedom of speech and everything, decided to uh, really take it up as a cause. And as a matter of fact, the Virginian pilot took my ads and put them on the editorial page, which by that time now, it like quadrupled the number of clients who were coming through the door. I mean, we used <laughs> to give out little numbers to people. We had so many clients, we'd give numbers, like a bakery. Mm -hmm. You had number 14 on a will, you know, and go. And it was really, really, um, and very, very successful. And I had the Attorney General of Virginia represent me. I had mm. three people from the ACLU represent me wow. and two local attorneys represent me. So on the day of court, I walked in with six or seven lawyers and Andre Evans looked and said, can we have a continuance? And I remember the judge looking down and saying, there's no continuances. You try it or I dismiss it. And he said, well, I'm not really ready. And he said, then it's dismissed. And that was the end. <laughs> <laughs> and you took them all out for a great breakfast yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. They were really oh, that's a great story. story. I love it. Yeah. So you were Stu the Hammer Gordon, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know him very well. <laughs> I don't want to be put in the same category as, as Lowell. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, so, um, you stayed in that practice for a while, but mm -hmm. then you branched out after that. What happened is I realized that in Virginia, unlike New York, you can foreclose on a person's property pretty quickly. Mm. So it's, the credit is, I mean, you can, it's funny, it takes you a month to, to it's not funny, it's really sad in some mm -hmm. ways. Um, it takes 30 days to evict a person from, has a lease. Right. It takes you two weeks to take their property away in a foreclosure. Oh, wow. And given that, some people would, you know, I said, gee, this is really an interesting area where you can, not that I wanted to take anybody's property, but I knew I could be secure. Mm -hmm. And so I started a little company that loaned money to people who couldn't get money from banks, mostly mm -hmm. African Americans. And over the years, it developed into a, an enormous company. And the interesting part is, despite the fact that, you know, I made money, mm -hmm. most of these guys today have become exceedingly wealthy. And, and friends. And friends. Yeah. I have one, as a matter of fact, one of them invited me to his wedding. And I remember Clyde getting up and and it was Lola and I, and there were 150 African-Americans. So mm -hmm. it was just Lola and I at this wedding. And the guy said, I want to thank my father. And he points to his father for all he did for me. And then he turned and he said, I want to thank my white father. <laughs> Which I, you know, the tears started running down my face oh, because great. he had come to me as some kid sure. who really didn't have anything and turned out, that he is, now he owns, I think, four or five apartment houses. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, he drives a Bentley. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he, and he loaned, and he, he actually drove the Bentley when Lola and I got married. He, oh, really? He, he, I said to him, can I borrow your Bentley to take 
pick up the guests at the um, who are flying in for the wedding. Yeah. And he said, oh, no. He says, I will be the chauffeur. So here's this guy who owns the Bentley, and he's yeah. dressed up in a white dinner jacket. And for two days, he drove all my people, all oh, the guys around. Man. It was just really spectacular. That's great. But I have a lot of these guys who, who call me up. I mean, I get more, I get probably 15 or 20 little messages on Father's Day. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. from the, these guys. Well, you've helped a lot of people. Yeah, they've made and a it, lot of money. And so that's a, and, and it, what a, a wonderful thing to oh, be absolutely. able to think back on that you got in a, most people don't think highly of lawyers. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> I would ask you what your favorite lawyer joke is, but since you're a lawyer, too I better many not. <laughs> but, but then here you've, you've found a way to help a, primarily a minority community. Mm-hmm. Um, in our in our world and um, and and get loans where they wouldn't be able to yeah. get loans anywhere else and to do well and to prosper and uh, and you know what the the part is I became very educated hmm. for, as a result you know too many uh, times you stereotype in a whole segment of our community we do and I found. These guys are the hardest working. I will call at like seven o'clock in the morning and I'll say, hey Joe, where are you? Well, I've been down at, uh, uh, you know, the, um, at Lowe's mm-hmm. for the last two hours picking up lumber so that I can get started in the morning. It's not like I'm showing up at 11 o'clock and, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. hard work. And, yeah. you know, and I, and I look around and I can honestly say, in my mind, I know of 20, maybe 25 individuals who today are independently wealthy. I have one woman who I was talking to, Orna, the other day, and I said, she said to me, Stuart, I just wanted to thank you for everything you did for me. I said, well, you know, it wasn't totally out of, you know, I... Part of it is because I, I like you, but part of it is I'm also making money. So, you mm-hmm. know, and she, but she said to me, you know, I now, because of you, own 27 buildings. Whoa. of Totally free and clear. She says, I never have to work again the rest of my life. Wow. And I said, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's a wonderful. What it a, is. What a great, yeah. great uh, tribute that is yeah. to... Uh, your um, creativity yeah. and your kindness. Yeah. Um, the big joke uh, among the African-American clients is that Stuart will never die because there are so many African-Americans praying for him to continue to live. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, y- um, you and I uh, are friends. I sure. think it's fair to say that. And uh, we've met here. And... Um, uh, you know, there's scholars, and I told you this earlier today, there's mm-hmm. scholars and there's intellectuals. And scholars mm-hmm. are the guys that write the funny papers that you have to have all the footnotes on mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. But an intellectual is somebody who knows all that stuff that the scholars know, but they don't write all those papers. They write other things mm-hmm. you know, that are more practical and more useful. And I see you as a, as an intellectual, uh, well, someone who is familiar kind. with uh, um, philosophy and, and uh, you know, literacy, uh, um, uh, literature and those kinds of, of course you, you married up. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, somebody with a PhD <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, in literature and mm-hmm. knows, uh, German, I believe. Yeah. As a matter so. of fact, the first time when Lola and I were going out, when I flew down to Atlanta, mm-hmm. because we met 
on. You uh, met online. We yeah, met tell online. us that story. Tell us that story. Well, well, what happened was my first wife, who I've been married to for some fifty years uh-huh. and had gone with like for fifty six years, mm-hmm. she passed away, and I was really, really, really uh, depressed. And I knew her sister who was about three years, four years younger than her. Mm-hmm. And her sister called me. She would call me every Saturday and say, mm-hmm. how you doing, Stu? And I would say, oh, well, you know. And then one Saturday she called me up and she said to me, how tall are you, Stu? And I said, 5'9". And she said, and you weigh 170, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I'm going to tell you, Stuart, if you're not on Match.com by tomorrow morning, I'm putting you on because I have a picture of you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, now so this is her sister. I swear, yeah, yeah. it was Linda's sister. It was encouraging you to. So I said, okay, I'll time. do it, and I put it on. That's a that, really kind way to say that to you. you know, to oh, say that, hey, you need to move on now. Absolutely. You know, we know you loved my sister, but. <laughs> That's the, the important thing. Yeah. It was coming from her sister. Yeah. It wasn't coming from a third person. Right. You know, the sister saying, you know, it's time. even though we loved Linda, even though you loved her very much, it was time to move on. And mm-hmm. it was just really, you know, and so I put a picture on of me, and I you always use these. Um, pseudonyms you don't use your own name on this so i i picked out some philosopher spinoza (laughs) and somebody said well what'll happen in that case either you'll get women who think it's an italian ice cream and those you can immediately (laughs) discard or those who know who spinoza is and you'll talk to them yeah so uh and i had just come back from uh wyoming having seen Actually, Linda's sister, the, Naomi, sure. the one who talked to me, and I had ridden a horse, and there was me with a cowboy hat with a real attitude look, standing next to a white horse, and I put it on there, and Lola, and I put down that I would only travel 50 miles. That yes. was my max. Yeah. She put down she would travel 3,000 miles. So, <laughs> <laughs> And so what happened is my name popped up as one of her possibilities Mm -hmm. she saw the horse and she said oh my god and she knew who spinoza was and she says here's a lawyer who knows who spinoza Spinoza rides a horse so she she wrote to me and she said i'm sure there are thousands of women who are look she actually wrote this there are i'm sure there are loads of women who are looking to to go out with you but would you please look at my resume and I looked at this resume and I said, oh my God, this woman speaks three languages. She's PhD, this, 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 this. So I flew down to Atlanta. <laughs> you broke your rule. Yep. <laughs> You're a lawyer too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how much longer, how long did it take for you to uh, lasso her? Actually, you know, the funny thing is, as soon as I went down there, I said, because I had gone out with some women before that. Sure. And I met Lola, and I, it was like, this woman is just like, I can't believe it. I mean, she's funny. She smiles. She's intelligent. I mean, funny thing. And she, we were talking about um, Nietzsche, mm-hmm. who's a you know, German philosopher. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, well, did you read him in the German or the English? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I could barely understand him in the English, so don't even start with the German. But yeah. I invited her back up to uh, to come to uh, Virginia the, sure. two weeks later. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, there's an upstairs apartment, you know, 
bedroom. Sure. You know, there's a lock on the door. So don't worry, you can come and come to Virginia. And she came and she spent um, uh, three days. I took mm -hmm. to Williamsburg and we traveled and we went to the opera and okay. all those kinds of things. Sure. We saw Don Juan, which, oh was, <laughs> which is appropriate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And she didn't see any similarities. Did she? <laughs> <laughs> and then I said to her before she left, I said, uh, what are you doing for the next 12 months? And she said, why? I said, um, if you're ready, we'll go on a vacation every single month for the next 12 months. Wow. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And she said, like what? And I said, well, are you ready? We'll go snowmobiling throughout Canada next month if you're ready to go start. And she said, I'm ready. That was it. <laughs> Where'd you go in Canada? <laughs> so we went up to Quebec. Yeah. And yeah. we snowmobiled there. And then okay. the next month we went to Argentina and we oh my. rode um, with the Gauchos. Yep. And then the month after that we went to New York and flew, took a helicopter ride over New York City. A month after that. And then finally we went to Austria. Mm. which is where she went to school. Mm -hmm. But there was a, there's a restaurant there that is an exclusive restaurant, and she could never afford to have gone there when she was mm -hmm. going to school. Mm -hmm. And what we said is, I said to her, um, Let's, I'm going to take you there. And we had this whole meal, and at the end of the meal, uh, the waiter came out with one of these uh, you know, silver trays. And he said to her, I have this for you, madam. And she said, I already had dessert. Thank you very much. But I, you know, I appreciate it. And he said, no, I think you want this dessert. And he opened <laughs> it up and there was an engagement ring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, you can do a movie on, on, uh, on that. That's a great line. For yeah. A, yeah. That's funny. That's, yeah. I mean, more than funny. It's, it's, uh, it's endearing. Yeah. yeah. And Lola has been absolutely, I mean, Anybody who knows Lola knows that I got a super deal. Yep, you did, and she did too. <laughs> well, well, anything else you want to, advice you want to pass on or anything no, you want to say? Not really. I just, well, I want to just thank you for the, the opportunity to, to talk. And, you know, we, it's, I just wanted to say, just one point, you know, you and I have been friends now probably three years. Yeah. And it started off where I walked up and I said, I don't agree with you. <laughs> you never have yet. <laughs> but we have become really good friends. Yes, we have. And over those three years, we've had numerous conversations. And I think we've become even philosophically closer mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. understand, I understand Great. more of your your philosophy, you understand more of mine, and I and I, I think I've become a lot enriched, more enriched as a result of our relationship. I think we both changed a little bit, Yeah, you know? And, uh, and, and, and I'm glad you pointed that out, because um, we live in an age where um, people are great at arguing, but not agreeing or even mm. listening to right. one another or hearing one another or, mm carrying on the conversation. It's more like two monologues yelling at each other. Exactly. And, uh, and yet you and I represent a, a different way of, con of communicating and mm -hmm. talking and dialoguing. And uh, that is, we, we don't uh, talk so much just to win. We talk to right. learn. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's healthy and something I probably need to do more in, with other people in my life as well. Well, thank you very much. Thank we, you. Um, I'm so glad you agreed to uh, to um, this uh, podcast, and um, we look forward to maybe having some more. Well, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast. Thank you for listening.